0: It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered
0: your purchases made through our links, give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: We are highlighting adaptations from season nine over at our originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. That's the site where listeners can purchase the source material for all of our adapted film discussions.
0: We had a big Robin Hood series this season, looking at nine different versions on screen. Many were likely adapted from Howard Pyle's The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, including Douglas Fairbanks in Robin Hood, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, and the 1991 Robin Hood. And Ridley Scott's Robin Hood.
1: Robin and Marion was specifically based on the ballad, The Jest of Robin Hood.
0: And we really don't have too much to say about Robin and the Seven Hoods.
1: We talked Dead Ringers for our David Cronenberg series adapted from Barry Wood and Jack Geeslin's novel
0: Twins. Have you checked out that show? You know, I haven't, but I've heard great things. Two comedies from our Steve Martin series were adaptations. Pennies from Heaven from the BBC series and The Lonely Guy from the book by Bruce J. Friedman.
1: The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas was part of our Colin Higgins series, adapted from the Broadway musical.
0: Spike Lee brought us Black Klansman from Ron Stallworth's memoir...
1: And we looked at a trio of John le Carey adaptations, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, The Little Drummer Girl, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy.
0: Plus, all three movies in our Agneska Holland series were based on books Europa, Europa, In Darkness, and Spore.
1: La Caja Fall and its remake, The Birdcage, both came from Jean Poiré's
0: original play. We also talked about Arsenic and Old Lace and Charade in our Gary Grant series.
1: All of these were based on other material, and it is all available on our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash Originals. Every book purchased supports the podcast.
0: Get the full list of adaptations we've covered and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash Originals. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest Laughing back and forth at what the other one has to say Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time Oodle lolly, oodle lolly golly, what a day I'm Pete Wright And I'm Andy Nelson Welcome to the next reel, when the movie ends Our conversation begins Disney's Robin Hood is over I'm in a dress, let's steal some gold Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest Jumping fences, dodging trees, and trying to get away Contemplating nothing but escape and finally making it Oodle-lolly, oodle-lolly, golly, what a day Oodle-lolly, oodle-lolly, golly, what a day You know something, Robin? You're taking too many chances
1: Chances? You must be joking.
0: Andy, we've made it to the one Robin Hood movie that I think you and I probably knew the best.
1: Probably. I think that, that holds true.
0: <laughs> now I feel like I, I wonder how our situation has changed. I wonder how our emotional, uh, the, our emotional resonance with Disney's Robin Hood has changed. Now that we've seen all these other Robin Hoods and have so much Robin Hood on the brain uh, and... Now we see this one again, this cherished, cherished, little sweet cherub of our youth. And now we watch it with uh, modern eyes. I'm nervous. Uh, are you?-hmm. It's not the movie I, love I, I remember. I' nervous. And right out of the gate, you express it. I <laughs> I am nervous. I'm nervous because it's not the movie I remember. And uh, it still holds a cherished part of the uh, general sort of Robin Hood lore. Um, but it's not, it's just not the same, it's not the same film that had me sitting with rapt attention two inches from our TV screen growing up.
1: I don't remember how many years ago, uh, but I started going through all of the Disney animated films with my kids. Starting with Snow White, and we watched through the entire run. And uh, this is when I was introducing my young children to flick chart, and I was having them do their own flick charts and ranking their their movies and everything, which was a should lot we of fun. A,
0: should we do a check in on that? How are their accounts? Uh, they thousand are they in the thousands yet?
1: They don't really use them. I, I I pushed it for that purpose, but they haven't really kept it up. Sadly, I'm sorry, kids. These I'm days, so sorry. they just. They just disappoint. Uh, So anyway, so we watched through all of them, and we got to Robin Hood, which is number 21 in the uh, roster of Disney's animated films. And, you know, I enjoyed it. And it was one of those films that I think hit me at a point where I was just really enjoying what they were doing with better storytelling in a lot of their later films. And uh, plus, this was at that period, and we talked about uh, Tom and Tony Bancroft, about 101 Dalmatians. This was that period where they were using that, uh, that zero graphic technology to kind of create the uh, the cells a lot quicker. Um, yeah. So everything's kind of that scratchier, rougher look. They were recycling a bunch of animation. All of that was really apparent to me when I revisited it. So I already had it pretty low on
0: my list of films mm-hmm. that I uh, saw from, from Disney So you're saying you were already in the trough on this thing. I was. right now it got better.
1: It did, actually, because I think what happened was it was it was pretty low because, uh, you know, I like so many of the later films better. But as I revisited this, just kind of on its own, I said, you know, okay, it is problematic. It's it's pretty simple. The story isn't that great. The animation's rough. Uh, There there are issues with it but it still is entertaining and i still have a lot of fun i think some of the characterizations that they capture particularly prince john uh, are just just beautiful wonderful things to remember and i so i had a good time with it it still is far from being one of my favorite disney films but it did rise a little bit for me you know it still is kind of a middle middle of the road sort of film project but i i still can enjoy it and I think yeah. in, in context of Robin Hood, I think I'm at an age now where uh, where I would appreciate something like the Errol Flynn version a lot more than this, which definitely would not have been the case when I was a much younger kid.
0: Well, I appreciate hearing that. I, I don't want it to sound like I didn't I, I don't enjoy my time with this. My son and I watched the movie. We had a I would say a fine time uh, w- with this movie. It, it just felt a little bit pedestrian. Uh, in, in, and maybe a dash of clumsy uh, in the way they slammed sequences together. It didn't feel to me like there was a single sort of auteur hand that was leading and it sort of guiding the production a, uh, along. And I know we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the challenges that some of the the creative leads uh, had in getting the movie made uh, and, and some of the choices that that were made along the way. It was a uh, one of the more generic Disney experiences. The bigger question is, how well does it stand up as a Robin Hood film, not as a Disney film? And we will talk about that in a bit. Andy, have you ever heard of Audible?
1: I have. I have, because you've tell, told me about it every week. I do. I tell you about it pretty
0: <laughs> regularly right now, and I have a recommendation for you. I'll tell you why. Audible is a kind sponsor of this very show, and here is the deal that you get. If you visit audibletrial.com slash thenextreel, and you sign up for a new account, you get to choose whatever book you want from their massive library of professionally produced audiobooks. I have one that I would like to recommend. It's not a Robin Hood. Oh no, it's a Disney. Mm. It is called A, a Mouse Divided How Ub Iwerks Became Forgotten and Walt Disney Became un- Uncle Walt. It's 11 hours and 30 minutes unabridged. And it tells the, the, here's the tagline. Are you ready for this? Tell me you don't want to read this book. I can't wait. Almost everything you know about Mickey Mouse is wrong. He wasn't Disney's first star. Steamboat Willie wasn't the first movie. Mickey wasn't a nice guy, and Walt Disney didn't invent him. Such intrigue andy, such (laughs) intrigue and controversy. That's a book I want to read, and you can read it for free. You know what else? If you decide you don't want to stick around with Audible, uh, you can cancel your account at the end of your 30-day trial. After you've you know sufficiently browsed the catalog, you've downloaded the book you want. This book, A Mouse Divided, or some other book, you can quit and you keep the audiobook, it's all yours forever and ever. Amen. And you, you don't have to stick around the service. I think you'll probably want to stick around the service. I know I did decades ago now. Decades. And uh, I don't regret it a bit. AudibleTrial.com slash The Next Reel. So we're talking about this as a Robin Hood film, Andy. How well does this movie hold up as a a the mover of rocks and carrier of water of the Robin Hood lore?
1: The, well, it's, it's interesting to say that because, I mean, obviously it's a fictional character, and so people do with it what they will to fit the context of their story. Says you, fictional character, my eye. <laughs> I'm the long <laughs> descendant of said hood. Uh, it's it is a uh, it's, it's so hard to judge because so much of my impressions of Robin Hood came from this film. But as as I've kind of grown and kind of looked at these other Robin Hoods and put them in kind of a more of a historical perspective, I can see how the team uh, making this film was pulling from some of those older Robin Hood films, particularly like the Errol, Errol Flynn version that we talked about And interestingly, which is a film that did not end up on our list uh, when we uh, kind of had our patrons pick the Robin Hood films that we were talking about, uh, another one was The Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men from 1952. That was another one that actually Disney had produced. That was a live action version that they had put together. And so, uh, yeah, that was just one of those things that uh, I I thought was kind of an interesting uh, thing. So they were kind of pulling from their own source along with kind of some of these other films. I mean, we've definitely hit that point where these films are now becoming kind of referential to other properties. I think that it does some things really well. I really love the way that uh Prince John is made to be such such a baby, always kind of calling for his mommy and sucking his thumb and stuff there There's something about that that I think works really well in context with who the real Prince John was that i I don't know I just think it's really funny now that I've like kind of been able to put two and two together with kind of that character from line in winter and and really kind of get a sense as to you know who this awful character was. But also, it is uh, one of those, you know, Disney films that it's brief and they just move through it pretty quickly. You, uh, the setup between Robin and Marion... Is very brief. They just—they're already in love with each other, but they don't know it yet because they knew each other as kids and they basically fell in love as kids. And then they haven't seen each other for a long time because now he's been hooding for who knows how long. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those weird things. And her uncle is King Richard, so there's kind of some odd little changes there that they made. There are no Merry Men. I thought that was an interesting thing. It's only Robin and um, Little John out in the woods friar tuck is there but he's in town alan Dale is in the story except he's just kind he's of the, the narrator the, the minstrel. yeah he's the narrator kind of wandering around yeah and so it's interesting the way that they keep some things and uh change some things the archery tournament is there i really love the archery tournament um so you know there's a lot of stuff that i think works in context of robin hood um I think because it was a family film, they just it feels very brief and very light and fun, but it also, uh, as you kind of get a sense of other elements of Robin Hood, it's like, well, I don't know, i guess I guess it's, it I guess it works, but it's just like I feel like it, they could have spent even just a little bit more time with it.
0: Well, I agree with that, and I, I think the point of this as a family film we we can't lose that because here we are looking at these movies that tell a much more mature you know version of the story and uh I, you know this is not that movie this was designed for us when we were watching it right <laughs> like it's yeah. a, it, it's it is age appropriate and uh, in that regard i i i think the anthropomorphized animals that choice was was uh, smart I think it's uh, it's got its own sort of nice sense of adorable I miss the merry men I think you know one uh, quote from Ken Anderson uh, was that they wanted deeply to do a butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid kind of a story they wanted a buddy picture out of Robin Hood and I think that is a little bit antithetical to Robin Hood for me now judging the movie decades after it was made I I am not a fan of what they did to Prince John and I'm I'm a fan of uh, of you know the the idea of lampooning who this actual guy was is is fine. I thought the sucking the thumb baby nonsense was exactly that. It was poppycock. Uh, I was <laughs> I was done with that the moment it started. Uh, there there are things that I thought were cute, like having him <laughs> in their first encounter with Robin Hood the Gypsy. That uh, you know, not only do they manage to steal all the gold. Uh, but they, he also steals his clothes right off of his body. I think is is uh, it, it's charming and clever and fun, and it, it gets into the kind of gestalt of of who Robin Hood is. Uh, his this hiss character, I assume, is the Gisborne character that your assumption.
1: It's never clarified. There's no hint that it is uh, Guy Gisborne. There's, uh, but there is also it, no Guy Gisborne. There, correct. Right. So to that end, yes, I guess he is that character. It's, um, uh, Or at least he's filling in for that character. But he's really not the character because he's yeah. really just more of like the
0: king's royal conciliary servant. accountant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. all those things. Well, we had some issues with him just because he's so dumb uh like literally the the money is taken out of his tail repeatedly and he fails to sound the alarm uh, a number of times it's just a it's it's he's not failing to sound the alarm he sounds the alarm but
1: the king doesn't listen that's why it's funny
0: (laughs) explain to me andy why why it's funny please (laughs) I love that. I just did. It's great. He sounds the
1: alarm. The king doesn't listen. Yeah. I'll do it again. He sounds the alarm. (laughs) (laughs) The king doesn't listen.
0: These moments. That's why it's funny. Yeah. This is what makes our relationship special. I find it silly. And so I, I was less than impressed with those two characters. But, um but but i do i mean it's i i get it and i get i like the relationship i like the fact that he's so smarmy and when he's not sucking his thumb uh he he is just the right level of uh, of that sort of smarmy diabolical duplicitous and yet incapable leader uh and and i like that um here is a movie though the the thing that i thought was interesting is that we have subverted uh the the evil doers to the sheriff. Now we have much a much more heavily weighted role in the sheriff of Nottingham.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I think I think um, Prince John is still pretty evil. I think he you know, he's the one who kind of is, I mean, he's pretty smart and pretty clever like when they're having the archery tournament. Yeah. That's like one moment where he's really kind of figured it out and stuff. And it, yes, I mean, he and the sheriff work together in a much stronger capacity in this film. And this is where I started seeing the sheriff. I mean, this is, you know, I saw the sheriff as kind of a stronger character in the presence of the stories rather than somebody like we saw in the earlier films where he was just more of a, of a, a kind of a, uh, you know, a coward and you know kind of was not ready to jump into the fray i thought it was funny in those earlier films but this is one really kind of where i saw the sheriff as i grew up and and i think here moving forward well i guess i guess we'll see but my recollection of the films that I've seen is that he starts to become a more prominent character and get darker and darker and stronger and stronger. And so that will be really interesting to see how that changes. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, but it's a good relationship. And I, I think that they are, they are, they work well. They play those characters well in context of this story.
0: I actually did this as a double feature Disney's Robin Hood and then Taryn Edgerton's Robin Hood. Mm, yep. Yeah. It didn't make the Why cut, not? and I knew I needed to get it under my belt. Uh, talk about an interesting take on the, the sheriff who has now, by tw- 2018, supplanted all of the evildoers. And he's just right. the principal bad guy. And he's part of a Sheriff of Nottingham cinematic universe now, where <laughs> it's like Menudo. <laughs> Uh, knock one of them down, another one just kind of steps up. So I thought that was uh, that's a fascinating thing to be able to see the thread that connects Taryn Edgerton and the Disney's production of this thing to actually be able to connect those two by way of the Sheriff of Nottingham.
1: Well, and that's a that's an interesting example, because in that one, we have a Guy Gisborne but yep. do we have, a, remind me, because I, I saw it, and I already am forgetting all this. We don't even have a Prince John, right? Because it's so, that all of that has been taken over by the church. Yes, right, right, right. right. So, So it's interesting how the prince element and kind of the royalty leading, other yeah. than, I mean, he's still waiting for King Richard to come home, but... It really is kind of this this uh, change, and I think it's interesting that that's the direction that the story has continued to go down, because now I'm trying to remember, does Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is there a prince in that one? Because I can only remember the sheriff of Nottingham.
0: Yeah, I can only remember the sheriff, too, and his... yeah. His buddy. Um and I, his witch. Yeah. Right. His buddy <laughs> the witch. Uh, I think so. And I think that's an interesting statement. I wonder, and I'm I'm ill prepared to make this statement. I'm gonna do it anyway. I like it when you do that. I think it's a really interesting kind of cultural statement that we see at first we have a commentary on the role of royalty, historic royalty. What is that saying if we're holding up that mirror for cultural context about our uh, general sort of contemporary feeling? about royalty, political leadership, etc. And how has that transitioned over time to be a reflection of moral leadership in, through the voice of the church? And is there a commentary here to be made? Because the church is not treated well in the Edgerton, um, no, no, know, no. Edgerton yep. uh, view of, of Robin Hood lore. So I think that's a really interesting thing. I'm curious to see how the the films in between the two that we have yet to watch take that on i it's that's a new connection for me
1: well it's interesting because i wonder if part of it is just making the story less about england and more just kind of a um, universal story about you know the poor yeah being uh you know sub uh, pushed down by the people in power who are ruling their land it, well the sheriff uh kind of the you know the the hand of the law, and then in that case, the church, um, as opposed to kind of a king and stuff like that, which uh, a number of countries around the world don't have. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. it's an odd shift. So it will be interesting to see how that does change. We'll have to keep talking about that.
0: Maid Marian is not a Fitzwalter. That we know. Well, in case we're in case we're keeping up on the Fitzwalter check, yeah, right, right. Should we have no? I, well, I guess mentions? I guess
1: she isn't because if she is the no, she's not the daughter. Of she's the no, king. She's, she's the ward.
0: The, she is the ward of the king. Is she the ward or the niece? Oh, see now there I got confused.
1: I think that I think it's her uncle. Okay, so she yeah, so yeah, it's not mentioned. Regardless, that still would what, mean what, that yeah. she is
0: not a Fitzwalter.
1: Well, she could be, depending on what side of the family.
0: Well, I don't, I don't care for your open-endedness. Hoping <laughs> for a definitive. But what we can say definitively is they never mention the name. Could this be the decisive punctuation at the end of the sentence that we no longer care about her family lineage? She's just made Marion. And in this case, a vixen.
1: <laughs> a vixen yes she is quite the vixen i think it's funny that they identify her as such as opposed to just a fox because she's a fox just like he's a fox now granted if vixen is a female fox but if if they were calling him by his masculine identification uh as a fox i what did i look up it was like dog i, I just
0: looked this up and now i'm already forgetting well what it was. no he's vulpes vulpes Right. It's a scientific name for the fox. Let's just go all the way. Well, okay. <laughs> I don't... I'll, do you love it how I just sound like I know that stuff?
1: <laughs> it's awesome. You, you sounded very smart. Yeah. No, a, a male fox is known as a dog, a Todd, or a Renard, which uh, I uh-huh. think that can, we can use that to lead into
0: our next point. Yeah. Who cares about Renard the fox? <laughs> and now that I know that the, the term is a Renard that Renard the Fox is the equivalent of shrimp scampi, um, I, <laughs> I, I don't care about it even more. <laughs> table I Mesa. Actively do, <laughs> I, table mace, I actively do not care about Renard the Fox. Who cares about Renard the Fox? Andy, tell me we the We did
1: Renard the Fox, the play in high school, and I have a special place in my heart for Renard the Fox.
0: Oh, that checks out. So, five tell on the... Tell my figures.
1: The... Yeah, I, exactly. Tell, exactly. Me, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it it is interesting that that the story of Renard the Fox had piqued Walt Disney's curiosity long um, in his history of uh, kind of making these films, all the way back to when he first did Snow White and Seven Dwarf, uh, Seven Dwarf. Seven Dwarf? Seven dwarfs <laughs> He had been interested. I can count. I can put my numbers together. well. <laughs> uh, he had been interested in, in doing a uh, full-length feature film version of Renard the Fox. His concern always was, though, is this to um, uh, unsuitable a hero. To do as a story for kids, he thought it was a very smart character, but also was a little sophisticated and wasn't sure, it, you know, if kind of the kind of the the robber character was going to be one that would work. And so uh, he never could get it right. And so uh, what he was actually thinking of doing to do this um, is split it into three animated shorts, kind of like what they did with. Um, uh, the Song of the South and um, break up his film Treasure Island, which was their first live action film with uh, three tales that Jim Hawkins or Long John Silver would tell to Jim Hawkins as these moral fables mm-hmm. about Renard the Fox. They nixed that, uh, just left that film alone as being fir- the first full fully live action film and they were going to do another one a few years later. That got scrapped in favor of The Sword and the Stone. And then uh, when, finally, when Ken Anderson um, was working on The Aristocats in 1970, he was trying to figure out what the next film project would be and they wanted to go back to something classic and he suggested Robin Hood and everybody loved that idea and so and he thought incorporating him as a fox character kind of taking that Renard the Fox character out of the Renard the Fox story and imbuing it into the Robin Hood story would be a really clever way to take it because he's a slick character uh kind of this thief but he's also uh you know very skillful And thought that would be a really interesting way to do it and taking all these different animals and kind of um, turning them into uh, characters that fit. Like, you know, Little John is this really big guy, so make him a bear. And they um, uh, made Marion obviously wanted they wanted her to be a fox like him. They wanted Friar Tuck. This was funny to be either a badger or a pig. And then they decided that if they made him a pig, that that could be offensive to people in the church. So they just stuck with Badger. <laughs> and then, of course, Richard the Lionhearted made sense that he would be a lion. And that, of course, meant that little or uh, Prince John was also a lion and very much kind of the, uh, uh, you know, um, Lion King esque kind of brothers as far as how the two uh, lions look uh, in this particular case with the sh- sniveling, weak younger brother so it was interesting it was an interesting transition to go from making a renard the fox story to finding a way to finally kind of adapt those characters into this telling of robin hood
0: there are a couple of passages that that i really enjoyed reading and when i was reading up on this Uh, the the first one is credit to robin allen in his book walt disney and europe quote ken anderson wept when he saw how his character concepts had been processed into stereotypes for the animation on Robin Hood. According to Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson, one such casualty was the concept of making the Sheriff of Nottingham a goat as an artistic experiment to try different animals for a villain, only to be overruled by Reitherman, who wanted to keep the villainous stereotype of a wolf instead. Did you walk away from this thing thinking that they leaned in too heavily on stereotypes? I'm not sure that I did, but maybe.
1: It's one of those things where I feel like it's always been there because this film has been around since I was a kid. So they've always fit that way. And I just kind of, I think the stereotype's for me became stereotypes because of films like this. Yeah. You know, and so I, it's kind of one of those chicken of the egg things because of uh growing up with this particular film. I definitely think that they're leaning into the stereotypes with these animals. I think it's interesting um that uh Ken Anderson took it so hard because he's the one who kind of came up with the idea to to do these. I, my my impression from that quote when I read it was that the, he was bothered because the stereotypes turned into such typical versions of the Disney characters from the past. Yes. And I think that's very true. And I think that speaks to the process of animation for this particular film because they were running short on time. They were at this point where they weren't spending as much on their films. And so you can see that because you know Sir Hiss, that is basically Ka pulled straight out of the jungle book. That's it. Just like the rhinos and the, the lions. Bear. The bear is, yeah, blue, basically. You have the crocodile guards. Those are basically yep. the same crocodiles that we had in Fantasia. Uh, you have, um, there. I mean, there's sequences that are straight up lifted from other films, like the dance sequence in The Forest. They pulled that from Snow White and kind of used the same dance patterns to have all these people dance. In fact, in, which they've done in other films too, there's even, if you look carefully, one of the characters that's in that dance scene is basically one of the cats from the dance sequence in the Aristocats. So it's very funny how they were pulling all of this stuff to kind of make this film, and
0: uh, and you can see all of that. Um, What's interesting about that, though, to me, is that they at this point they already had some built-in credibility, particularly with the kids, like. One of the reasons that this movie is one that we're still talking about right now is that it doesn't matter that they started robbing from their own properties uh, because we already liked those properties. Sure.
1: Yeah. And and I think that absolutely works. I think it only comes into play as you get older and you start realizing that there are these um, repeats that they've been doing. Sure. That's when it starts. You start going oh, They were being a little cheap, but, you know, it does it bother me? Not really, not really. you know, I, I'm not really having issues with the fact that they did all this, um, it, you know, they're, they're pulling from their own stuff to make it work. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's fine. It's, it, it. you know, it was a period where they were kind of struggling to figure out how to keep going and what they were going to do now that uh, Walt Disney had died. And uh, so, yeah, so they're just kind of putting stuff together and, and trying to figure out a way to make it work.
0: Can you talk a little bit? It's been a long time since we talked to our friends, the brothers, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they did an able job of describing what was going on in, in, you know, doing the animation for this thing. Do you think right now, off the cuff, Andy Nelson, that you could give me a recap of the technology used to do this? They had been experimenting
1: with different styles of speeding up their animation, making it cheaper so that they didn't have to pay so many people to do all of the the um the cell animation and like drawing painting each of those cells and so they found this xerographic technique where they were basically Uh, photocopying like the the hand drawn sketches that the animators would do do onto the cell and then they would just paint it from there as opposed and they came up with it as we talked about it 101 dalmatians was very important because of the number of spots on all of those dogs it was just they were like there's no way we're going to be able to hand animate all of that it's just it's insane and so that actually allowed them to make that film. But it was a technique that they continued to use for, uh, you know, a good handful of years, well into the the probably late 70s before they uh, kind of shift back over in some of their early 80 films. And I, I think it was really just... What, what they experienced with 101 Dalmatians was it was a very effective tool to animate when they had complex characters like that with a lot of spots that they needed to really kind of keep in place. They also realized that it was a great money-saving technique because they didn't have to pay all of those people to kind of continue doing all of that cell animation. And it was a great savings, and they were able to bring the budgets down, which, again, they were at this place where they were really needing to do that. And so it did help. And some people really hate this animation style. I kind of like it. I think it has this kind of loose, free-flowing feel that feels very much of the period. And so I don't really have an issue with it. I think it, it's kind of cool. Um, it, my issue with it is when things get repetitive. Mm-hmm. There were scenes in this where it becomes very two-dimensional and you have... Uh, it, it reminded me of all of the 80s TV shows I would watch, like Uh, He-Man is a perfect example where you'd have looping animation where the background was basically just a loop and he would run through a forest and it just kind of spins and you kind of keep seeing the same forest looping if you are really paying attention. And He-Man would have the same movement that he would always use. And in this, you have the same thing when they would run through the forest, or they would, it was always the same pattern of run so that they didn't have to kind of keep using new animated cells. They could reuse those old cells. There's a lot of that where it's just. What is that called? I'm totally blanking. They started calling it something back like when 300 came out. It's the scrolling. Is that what they call it? Oh, the side scroller? Side scroll. It's exactly yeah. what it is, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know why I couldn't think of that, but it's totally just the side scroll as they're just
0: running very, uh, you know, perpendicular yeah, to yeah, the yeah. camera. Totally. The like the, like the, the cameras, cameras on pointing. rails, right on the side of you. And it's, exactly, exactly. Never-ending pattern.
1: That's the stuff that... Oh, Wears me down a little bit more than just the
0: zero graphic animation itself. You made a comment when we were talking about the show, doing the show two weeks ago, about uh, the the Errol Flynn Robin Hood, right? The Adventures of Robin Hood. Yeah. About just how bright and vibrant and colorful it is and, and uh, that beautiful, bright technicolor. And then we made kind of a side comment about uh, how this movie would be interesting to, to compare because it's just frustratingly similar, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it is frustratingly similar. And I, I have to read this from Mary Ness over at Tor.com who uh, wrote this fantastic uh, brief on this film. Uh, and says, the decision to use the Robin Hood name did not mean that the animators had any interest in researching the Robin Hood legends to add elements of those to their trickster, fox, rooster Western film. Instead of checking literary sources like Sir Walter Scott's 1820 Ivanhoe or Howard Pyle's 1883 The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, animators instead watched Robin Hood films chiefly the 1938 classic The Adventures of Robin Hood, featuring Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. That choice had some profound effects. First, The Adventures of Robin Hood bursts with color, showing off the technicolor process was one of the purposes of that film, which in turn helped create the look of the Disney film, which keeps most of its characters in similarly bright colors. Most of the Disney backgrounds were based on the locations and sets Warner Brothers built for their film, a positive since Warner Brothers deliberately designed those castle sets to allow for plenty of stunt work and movement something Disney would take advantage of in the later scenes of the film. This also meant bringing in a character new to the literary Robin Hood sources, Disney's Lady Cluck, directly based on WB's Bess, a character created specifically for the great Una O'Connor, perhaps best known on this site for Bride of Frankenstein in the earlier film. Because they went to reference that was already cinematic with a different intention, uh, they ended up adding this character to the lore. Interesting to see if she continues to show up. And since the earlier film had not made the slightest pretense toward historical accuracy or any sort of accuracy, that helped free the Disney film from any such pretense as well, allowing Disney to do such things as, say, keep the original sketches of the Sheriff of Nottingham walking around with a badge straight from the Wild West, a holdover from the earlier concept of talking animal Western film.
1: Uh, That actually makes me really curious because as I was looking uh, uh, you know, as we were talking about uh, the one earlier that I mentioned, uh, the Disney film, The Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men. That actually does have different elements that they added, apparently, when they told that story, which was their second live-action film. This is just the brief plot synopsis on Wikipedia, for example. Young Robin Hood, in love with Maid Marian, enters an archery contest with his father at the King's Palace. On the way home, his father is killed by henchmen of Prince John. Robin takes up the life of an outlaw, gathering together his band of merry men with him in Sherwood Forest to avenge his father's death and to help the people of land who Prince John is overtaxing. So there's a whole other element that they added in their own live action version right. that they didn't
0: pull out to reference. That's the, e- even more interesting. Right. Yeah, Look at you on my thing. side.
1: I, I, yeah. You're pretty your good side. over here. I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I will say, uh, you know. Despite our uh, whatever we're going to say about the animation, this was the nine old men still working on this film. In fact, I think this was the last production that the nine old men would all be alive for to see finished, which is kind of a sad note. Um, You know, we had a a great team of these uh, these animators that had been kind of working with Disney from the beginning and unfortunately they uh uh i can't remember what film came out next i want to say it was the many adventures of winnie the pooh uh or the rescuers one of those two um anyway either way um one of the nine old men is not going to make it past this point which is kind of Sad to say, I don't have my information in front of me to tell <laughs> say, which,
0: one which one that is. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to come back next week. <laughs> That's right. Which of the uh, nine no. old men make it on Survivor?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Disney's nine old men. Who died in the 70s? This is a cheery thing. John Lounsbury dies February 13th, 1976. All right. So, so there it is. And... uh um, yeah, but he did work on, well, it says he worked on, um, on the Rescuers. When was the Rescuers? Um, that was 77. So, uh, uh, well, I guess he was working on it. He didn't get to see it finished. That's the, that's the key point that the statistic is making. But we do, uh, we were talking about, um, the director, uh, Wolfgang Reitherman or mm-hmm. Wooly Reitherman, as he's called. He was one of the nine old men and gosh, he was one of those guys who did a lot of these projects for, uh, for Disney, and you know I think it's a it's an easy easy told film I think he's having a fun time with it, and I think he knows how to capture. What he needs to capture for the kids. So to that end, I think it works, and I think he cast
0: it really well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the voices are just wonderful, it, you know, and and they sh- showcases them very well. Even though I I kind of miss Alan Adale, you know, being used because we, we're just getting to the point where they we're starting to see these characters used in interesting ways in in the uh, it, you know in Robo and the Hoods. I I, I loved how they. Kind of changed up the mechanic there, but still, Roger Miller uh, giving us his the crooning minstrel song in the beginning, I think it was just fantastic. Peter Ustinov was great uh, as, as Prince John and King Richard. Um, uh, and Brian Bedford as Robin Hood was, I think, terrific. And of course, we, we all love Bill Harris.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are certain voices that stand out to me, like Peter Ustinov, like Terry Thomas. The two of them, I just think, are a perfect pair. I love them. The four Western voices I already mentioned, I really enjoy them. Brian Bedford and Monica Evans are the two who it's because it's one of those funny things because... Robin and Marion are kind of just the ones who fall in love and stuff. They end up being kind of the most uh, kind of generic characters. They're really bland and largely uninteresting.
0: But they sort of need to be, right? I mean, they need to be the Costners.
1: I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> sure, I do see what you did there. Right. Very clever. Um, I, I do appreciate that Monica Evans was paired with Carol Shelley, who they had been working together for quite a while. The two of them were in Neil Simon's The Odd Couple on Broadway uh, for its entire run, along with the film version a few years, I think five years before this, and uh, also in the TV show. And they were also, uh, they played... So they were the Pigeon Sisters in The Odd Couple. They were the Gabble Sisters, the two geese in The Aristocats. And then here we have them again as Maid Marian and her handmaiden Lady Cluck. And I think that's kind of adorable that they... Kind of kept this working relationship together. <laughs> and we do have, uh, again, this is one of those things Disney still likes to do, actually. Uh, they like to, if they have a voice that they feel is really working well for their characters, they will bring that person back over and over again. We In this film, we had Candy Candido, Barbara Luddy, J. Pat O'Malley, and John Fiedler. They were all in this cast. They had all been in previous films like Lady and the Tramp. Alice in Wonderland Peter Pan Sleeping Beauty The Jungle Book Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day so uh, yeah it's it's one of these things where they will definitely repeat characters if they think that you are working one person who apparently was really upset that he did not get included was um, Louis Prima who was in The Jungle Book and apparently he was really upset that they didn't consider him for a role which uh, I think is kind of uh, kind of adorable <laughs> We could have used a a Louis character in here somewhere. He would have been one of the Merry Men, and he would have been perfect. That's absolutely where he would have been. And because of what somebody like Louis Prima makes me think of, as far as what he did in The Jungle Book with his song, I would like to think that the songs would have been more memorable, maybe. I don't know. I mean, this is not by far my favorite stretch of uh, songs in a Disney animated film. Other than Alley, which is super brief and is kind of adorable, but it's it's really short. Uh, the rest of the songs are really forgettable, and they, none of them stick with me. In fact, I, when I was watching this and I saw the list of songs at the during the opening credits, yeah, I was like, did they cut all these songs out of the movie? Because I, I don't remember any of them other than Love, which I know is in here, and uh, it kind of bores me. But um,
0: they're all there, just forgettable oodle short but but the oodle like tune is what r- they sing the what alan adele sings all in the beginning that's like five minutes yeah
1: no it's not five minutes it's super short uh, they, i think they, they i think it feels like it's forward. five minutes because but because he'll come back to it like he'll sing oh. it and then because all of a sudden then you're it's only like a minute and a half it's
0: a really short song well it sure does feel long that's right yeah <laughs> that's accurate <laughs> Uh that's interesting. You yeah, that? I don't I don't have a memory of any of the other songs either. They just the songs that I forgot were in here were
1: the football fight songs that we have when Lady Cluck is fighting the yes. soldiers. Right. Uh we have uh USC's uh fight song Fight On, and we have the University of Wisconsin fight song on Wisconsin, which I don't think I ever realized what that song was but to me that is like the stereotypical football march song. It is so Oh, is No, it's the one that
0: goes right.
1: No, well now I can't sing it because he just did that. Uh it goes da 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 da
0: or something like that. Yeah, okay. All right. So the other one is the uh Chautauqua Boys and Girls Club song. Uh with Boys Club, down with Girls Club. Cheer, rah-rah, rah. And that's that's USC's fight song. Okay, that's USC. Yeah. So that's it was a very strange shift of context. And and I think maybe. We just got our new ringtones for 2019. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's it's funny. I'm going to move past that
1: before anyone catches what you just said. It It is, uh it it's an odd moment and an anachronistic moment, but this is a film that I just, I mean, they're animals, I, I think, because I saw some other people online complaining that that Maid Marion and Lady Cluck are playing badminton, badminton, but it hadn't been invented yet. And I'm like, these are animals. They're not right. people. It's <laughs> like, it's the whole story doesn't make sense. No. You know, you got to move <laughs> past these things. So it will be okay. Like if an automobile <laughs> turned
0: up, it wouldn't have been surprising to me so <laughs> don't you know andy all of the other stories are wrong robin is a fox uh, i've seen it with my it own was eyes the fox in the crusades
1: the only one <laughs> all right oh uh, but but speaking of music pete we cannot go further without talking about whistle stop <laughs> okay do it then get it out of your system uh, and this is the song that was used in the insane, <laughs> really insane internet meme hamster dance, where they sped it up and then they just have little animated hamsters dancing. And
0: I'm going to make that all sorts happen of nonsense. right now for everyone. God help you all. Here we go. it's the worst thing ever and i it made me resent our friendship for a few minutes today when you sent it to me it was oh, not great it's, it's so funny <laughs> it it's is just really so funny. funny it is really funny and that video is oh well the one i
1: sent you was was number two like i i didn't even bother looking for number one that one just popped up and i'm like this oh, is goodness. all this is all we need everybody now here we Uh, you know what, Pete? Yeah, our show has had the uh, the tagline: "When the movie ends, our conversation begins." For quite a while now, oh. I can't exactly remember when we uh, added that to the show, but it's been quite a while—years. We have this conversation every week where we're talking about movies on uh, uh, that we talk about and we really enjoy, or sometimes not enjoy. But people who are listening can also get in on these
0: conversations. Pete. oh, they really should do that.
1: They can go over to uh to join a our Patreon page at uh, thenextreel.com slash Patreon, where they can get access to not just the the free channels that we have over in our Discord chat room, but they can get into some other chat rooms in our Discord chat room. And they can also get access to listening to the show early. They can have uh, two-week early access, so they can start those conversations that much quicker. Or, they can jump in on the YouTube um, <laughs> live oh, okay. stream. you which... just sounded
0: like an old man. <laughs> no, I want to uh, cut it off the at, at the YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> It's great uh, that you. It is important, and it's great that you bring all that up. Not just the live stream, and not just all the channels. But we have, if you if you have been listening to the show for a while, we've just shaken a whole bunch of things up over on uh, Patreon, and uh, now we've got all sorts of. Uh, we we've simplified a lot, and so for just a paltry five bucks a month you can get access to either all of the next real early release stuff or all of the marvel movie minute new release stuff or the works where we'll actually send you all of the everythings in your very own custom rss podcast feed that you can use to subscribe to the show in your own podcast player it's custom just for you dear listener uh all if you join us and support the show at a mere five dollars a month cup of coffee, Andy. It's one of those fancy coffees that you drink. It's less than one of those. Exactly. Mine's $5.24. That's right. So you actually are saving money (laughs) right here. Patreon. That's right. TheNextReal.com slash Patreon. Thank you, everybody. In all seriousness, it is uh, a great help uh, that you join the community, support the show, support independent podcasting. I do have some additional facts and tidbits. Oh, the monocle just went on. Mm, the
1: monopole <laughs> is on. This is the first Walt Disney animated uh, stu- animation studios film to not have any humans in it since Bambi back in nineteen forty two. Um, that film, however, the animals were animals, and here they're anthropomorphic and kind of living this nonsensical world. <laughs> but that's right. okay, alternate universe animals. Why does it really right. matter? Right, um, and that that piqued my curiosity to go. What films after this have been only animals, and oh. then I never looked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a story that and went right I, off I, a cliff.
1: I feel like I feel like that's something that our listeners can do. So uh, it's homework. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is. The only one that I can think of, just off the top of my head, is Zootopia because uh, that's that world, right? Here, I'm just going to do it live. This is super exciting. People love this. This is great. So, we had, let's see, Robin Hood, and it was number 21. Many Adventures of Wizard Winnie the Pooh has Christopher Robin. The Rescuers doesn't count. Fox and the Hound doesn't count. Black Cauldron, no. Great Mouse Detective, no. Oliver and Company, no. Little Mermaid, no, 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 no. Uh, Lion King, I guess, would be the next one. Oh, that would uh, do it. In 1994. That one certainly works. Um, let's see, da, da, da. dinosaur, I guess that one works, when? that one
0: will count. Um, oh, and dinosaur, go- yeah, that's not the one with the boy who thought he was a dinosaur. No. Dog, what you thought that he thought it was one? a dog. That's oh, that other Pixar one. The good dinosaur? Yeah.
1: No, no. And then we have, uh, Chicken Little, so there's one. Oh. And that one fits this, where totally. it's anthropomorphic. Yep. Animals running around, right. so uh, that's that's very much in this in this uh, world. And oh, I wonder if they're in the same cinematic universe. I bet they are. Chicken Little and uh, Robin Hood. I like to think that.
0: Yeah, and Zootopia. I like to think that. <laughs> and Zootopia. Yeah. It's all the same world. I think this is how great. many possible worlds could there be where it's just animals wearing clothes? Of course, it's the same cinematic universe. <laughs> There's only one: the animals in clothes cinematic universe. Announcing our new show, "The Animals in Universe" <laughs> animals in closed cinematic universe by minute,
1: where we're going to talk about those movies one minute at a time. You heard it here first. Yeah, time. those those are the three parts, and that's it. Because <laughs> uh, it ends it ends with Zootopia. As far three as you, four, as far as where, you know. where did we land? Yeah, there's there were four, right? Yeah, that was five.
0: We had five. I don't know that you're right about that. Robin Hood. Chicken no, Little. No, it's 6
1: cuz Bambi. <laughs> we keep forgetting Bambi where but it all
0: started. Nobody wore clothes in Bambi and plus Godzilla.
1: Or, oh, that's right. We're only doing the ones where they're anthrop- anthropomorphic. Right. 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 And we're leave that's why we're leaving out the Lanking and that's why we're leaving out dinosaurs. That's exactly right. Right. Okay. Also we're then not doing right. that. So, back to the show. Yes. Yes, back to the show. Anyway, that's a fi- fun side <laughs> tidbit to share with everybody. <laughs> Another little fun side tidbit to share, Pete, that I think is Really interesting that this film was actually the first film that Disney released um, outside of the theater this was the they they were kind of you know real hesitant about releasing any of their classics but in uh, 1984 this did become the first movie that was released on VHS at the time also, CED, which I don't even know what that is, Betamax, and Laserdisc, all on December 4th, 1984.
0: Oh, so that's how you would
1: see it, on your Laserdisc. (laughs) And they decided, this is interesting, they decided on this being the first choice because they didn't, Hold it in as high esteem as some of the other titles, and it was less likely to get any other theatrical releases, as it just uh, had been released in nineteen, re-released in nineteen eighty two, and uh, the reissue was a rather disappointing one. Huh. So, so they said, you know what, that one can go out on VHS. All right. I think that's interesting because that's kind of where uh, where it all started, as far as and and that also kind of is the other thing that started the whole vault, that whole idea of the Disney Vault. Okay, yeah, they started pulling it. So in 1987, its release went on to moratorium. They pulled it. They didn't release it again until 91, and uh, then they still kind of do that. They kind of keep pulling in stuff. So,
0: and now the vault is Disney Plus.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Even there, yeah. they're still going to be gonna doing gonna be that a where they'll have stuff out for a little bit and then they'll take it away again. Uh, how to do an award season? It was not a big award film. I think in addition to kind of the period that it was in as far as animation goes. It also was in a period where people saw these animated films as stuff for families and weren't really award fair, unless it involved maybe one of the songs or something like that. That seems to be kind of a consistent thing with a lot of the Disney films is, you know uh, what, it'll have some music nominations, but that's about it. That held true here. One win and two other nominations. It was nominated for the Best Music Original Song love that song that I don't care for very that's much written by George Bruns and Floyd Huddleston. It did lose to uh Barbra Streisand the way we were, which we uh, haven't talked about on the show, but we have talked about her a couple times. And definitely if there's a song that's going to stick with you, it's the way we were. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, over in Germany, this film was nominated for the golden screen award and it won. That was this film's big win. And then at the Grammys, it was nominated for Best Recording for Children uh, for its soundtrack, but it did lose to Winnie the Pooh and Tigger Two. Oh,
0: yeah. there's a wonderful but, thing you know, about Disney. Tigger. Still wins. Yeah. They, well, they, <laughs> they will always still win. Here we go. <laughs> All right. How about at the box office? Did it make any money? Well, Disney's
1: Robin Hood was made in that period, as I said, where the animation giant wasn't spending as much on their films, but still, they did spend 5 million on this one. That is about 28.8 million in today's dollars. The movie was released November 8th, 1973, and had the weekend to itself, as far as I could tell. It went on to become the ninth highest grossing film of the year, earning just over 32 million at the domestic box office, which is about 185 million in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of almost 1.9 million, and makes it the most successful version of the story made thus far. Would you have been able Take to that, predict Errol that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Would you have been able to predict that if it weren't you doing the homework? Yes. Oh, check out the big
1: brain <laughs> on <that> Andy. Good. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's a Disney film. I, I think it's going to succeed at the box office because of that element to yeah. it. And while I think the Errol Flynn version probably was very popular, I don't know. It just the animation family aspect of it just seems like it's going to give it that extra push.
0: Yeah, yeah, I buy that. Mm-hmm. All right, Andy, that's it. I think I think we got to go to the mat. Look, we got to go to the forest. We got to get out our quarter staves, and we got to go to flick chart. Mm, let's do it. And you should also go to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've ever talked about on this very show. And you can, uh, if you swipe over in your show notes and you tap the word flickchart, that should take you straight to this movie where you can add it to your catalog and see how it stands up to ours.
1: First up, we have Robin Hood versus Stromboli. I think we're both going to take Robin Hood. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Robin oh, that's Hood. easy. <laughs> it's like stunningly easy. I was yeah. in vapor lock for a I second. I stunned you, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Robin Hood
1: or Rocky Balboa? Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa, please. Robin Hood or Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance? Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I will take Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance as well. Robin Hood or The Born Identity? Born Identity. Definitely Born Identity. Robin Hood or Viridiana? Robin Hood. There's an interesting one. I uh, I know I yeah. should <laughs> I well I'll watch Robin Hood first. Yeah, so I'll pick yeah. it there. Robin Hood or Lethal Weapon? Lethal Weapon? Lethal Weapon, please. Robin Hood or Goodbye, Mister Chips? Goodbye, Mister Chips. I will say goodbye, Mister Chips as well. Robin Hood or Creep Show? Creep Show, definitely
0: Creep Show. Robin Hood or Autumn Sonata? I'm gonna say probably Autumn Sonata, although. There are fewer people that are going to want to sit down with me and watch if those are the only choices.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I will say Adam Sonata, it's uh, the better film. Well, congratulations. That lands Robin Hood at spot 194 on our flick chart. 194 out of 413 lands it at about a 53%. All right, Andy, what did it do on your
0: personal flick chart?
1: You know, it's not too far from the mark, but mine flipped onto the other side of the 50% mark. I'm at 48%, landed at 2167
0: out of 4190. Okay, so mine is, oh, it's right about there. Um, uh, it's at uh, 490 out of 1099. And if I were to go by the algorithm for letterbox.com slash the next reel, uh, that should be a three star, according to the flick chart. It should be three stars on Letterbox. Frankly, that feels okay. It was going to be two and a half or three stars, and uh, I'll go with the algorithm here. Three stars and a like, or three stars and no like? Yeah, I'll give it a like. It's a, it's a okay. like and a shrug. I wish there were a, yeah, shrug kind of a sure. symbol.
1: I am at two and a half and a like. Um, which is higher than I think I last time I ranked this when I did the rewatch with the kids. I think it was at one and a half. I think it's better than that, and I th- I I just think that, th- that there are a lot of issues. <laughs> You're
0: wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at your review, and it was two and a half stars. And uh, no, that was my. That's because of rewatched the way that it, June 2015? Yeah, that's because when. No, 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 wait. I'm looking at it on Letterboxd okay. right now. All right, then you proved me wrong. Let the court, let the court. Two and a half holds. All right, two and a half holds. But I thought it was better. I thought you were going to go up a half star. I was going up a whole star, but not
1: anymore because, uh, because apparently my memory is poor. Turns out past Andy was
0: actually correct.
1: <laughs> really, my memory just sucks. <laughs>
0: So what did I say? I'm three stars and a light. Three stars and a, and a heart, yeah. Yeah. And are you a
1: heart? Did you give it a heart? Yeah, time? I'm a heart. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a fun film. It's light. It's easy. It's uh, you know, it's nothing uh, that does anything damaging. And I I really enjoy, and I know you don't, but I really enjoy Prince John and uh, and his the two of them. Like I could just watch them the whole time, and I'd be perfectly content because they're just a delight. And throw in the, all the Western characters. I thought they were fun, too. So, it, just anyone but Robin and Marion.
0: <laughs> all of that that you just said, I think we know, is poppycock. Where do we go from here uh, in our epic Robin Hood series? Something you're looking forward to? We... I I don't know. Maybe. We're
1: jumping forward just a few years to 1976. We're going to be looking at Richard Lester's film, Robin and Marion, with uh, Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn. It is going to be an interesting kind of look at this story and kind of a a different take on it, because this is Robin and Marion Uh, Later in life And just kind of how things have been For them, I guess I'm really kind of uh, uh, Curious about this one According to um, the IMDb synopsis It says, Robin Hood Aging none too gracefully Returns exhausted from the Crusades To woo and win Maid Marian One last time Anxiety is high Richard Harris, Robert Shaw, Denim Elliot It's all the right people Ian Holm, wow
0: and they're all—they yeah. all must be young, like prime fighting weight. Well, yeah, I'm excited they're about this. 76, yeah, this so, is good. Yeah. Good times for for that entire yeah. cast. I'm excited about it. Then, okay, anxiety alleviated a little bit. Thank you for that. <laughs> that was good. You can also check out the Marvel Movie Minute. By the time you listen to this, um, we are well. Let's see. You should be just gearing up to hear the next of our grand hiatus episodes, uh, in which we are talking about. The Incredible Hulk, the pilot of the TV show from nineteen seventy seven, uh, was packaged up and released in some countries theatrically. Uh, well, we're talking about it. You can see it on Amazon Prime, and then come hang out with us as we talk about this fantastic uh big Spie Ferrigno uh, vehicle. But I think by the time this comes out, they'll be we'll be in our second of our hey this episodes, right? <laughs> You're right, Matt calendar math is hard so there'll be that and then another one and it'll be great too it's really we, we, just stacking them up
1: greatness we are going to have a lot of them yes all we all are. of the five tv movies of the incredible hulk tv show and then angley's hulk those yes. are all of our hey episodes That's so right. it'll be fun gearing up for our january release of the incredible
0: hulk season that's right, and I know the guys are getting back into the gear uh, for trailer rewind. Steve and JJ are, are scheduling out and they're uh, actually we're getting ready for their next uh, uh, grand uh, recording session. Filmboard is coming back. We've got a lot of great shows coming out through the next couple of months. so stick with us. When the movie ends, the conversation begins.
1: Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon sometimes doeth.
0: You know who else giveth? (laughs) Letterboxd. Your family. (laughs) You know who I wish I was right now, Andy? My family? Dame Judi Dench.
1: Oh, okay. Exactly. Often wondered how often you had that thought. And uh, now, I now I do I I,
0: because I will not be able to do these reviews justice unless I was Dame Judy Dench. But I'm going to go first because my idea was awesome. And that is thanks <laughs> to you that you have actually included at the time your then eight and a half year old and four wow. and a half year old's thoughts on the movie Robin Hood in your letterbox review. You have been hoist by your own petard, man. Oh, great. Now I'm going to hoist you on it. Your eight-and-a-half-year-old's <laughs> thoughts. I thought that Robin Hood was really cool because it had lots of interesting characters. What I did not like about Robin Hood was that the prince was very greedy and he wanted everyone in jail. And that, it's not very nice. Oh, it's not very nice, I was Andy. picturing
1: James, Dame Judy Dench. And you it's, should, uh, yeah. Definitely That's better.
0: too low. My four-and-a-half-year-old's thoughts, and I mean yours. Yes. On Robin Hood when he was pretending to be the duck, and they were fighting him. I liked that, because he was standing on those legs, and then he fell. That's it. <laughs> that
1: sounds about right.
0: That's it.
1: <laughs> if you go through all of those reviews, that's how he ends most of his reviews. Or <laughs> well, that's all. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, your turn. Beat that, Dad.
1: <laughs> yep. that's his version of mic drop. Well, I've got two reviews, Pete. All right. Two reviews two over Two the-
0: Oh, let yeah. me just add that we have a YouTube comment that says, hurry up, some of us watching have an early bedtime, and I want to hear the Amazon reviews.
1: Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what they're here for. Yeah. They wait this whole time. The whole thing. Right. Um, one of these days, we'll start reading our YouTube comments on past shows <laughs> at the or episodes. Get ready! Oh my God. Okay, so my first one is uh, the one that uh, is probably the real one. Uh, this is by T Bone Malone. Oh yes, who says wrong accents? Why do characters in the middle of England have Southern American accents? That minor details ruined this movie. My kids and me. <laughs> Ruined all of them. No, the comments really are what make it uh, beautiful. Um, first, we have um, you mean you ruined the movie for your kids. Then we have, <laughs> uh, then we have yes, talking animals should always adhere to proper regional accents. Realism must be preserved at all costs. Those North American <laughs> raccoons were immediately skinned. Also. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, And then we have, uh, I seriously doubt wrong accents would ruin an animated film for any kid. And if you want authentic language for an animated film about a figure developed in the 16th century, then they'd have to be speaking early modern English, unintelligible to most children. How far are you willing to take this? (laughs) (laughs) which I love. And then somebody replies to that. Adding to what that person said, go and research the quote colonial lag theory end quote, and you'll find that American accents are probably more authentic when it comes to the sound inventory of early modern English than British accents. I don't think, Pete... That T-Bone Malone was ready for no. the conversation he was thrusting himself into
0: when the he decided to
1: talk, talk about <laughs> accents in the film.
0: Well done, Amazon. Oh, my. Oh, my.
1: Now, did you have another one? This is just a very brief one because I and and really it's only because the bulk of the negative reviews on Amazon are people who have problems with the digital copy or they got a Spanish version. It's insane. It's like all of them. But Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed this one. Um, It's by Hussein Albaderi. I can't say that last name. I was very disappointed to see it was a VHS. I was purchasing a DVD, I thought. When I received it, it was a VHS, as they are a thing of the past. Pawn shops won't even take them, as they are the
0: thing of the past. (laughs) They are the thing of the past. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's delightful, Andy. Mm, Well done. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well done. And thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006.